This is Brad Friedman of the Green News Report. Desi and I are off camping this week, but we prepared this report for you before we left. Too late to save the world's fish? Big trees grow smaller. Plus, a jump start for the electric car. Shocking. I'm Brad Friedman of Bradblog.com. And I'm Desi Doyen. Saving your world in six minutes or less. This is your Green News Report. A lot of interesting stories today. Desi Doyen, bring it on. Yeah, we got some good news. Guess what? Saving the world's fish may be possible if they're not yet past the tipping point. Delicious. You mean we weren't <laughs> going to be able to save the world's fish? Well, let's get a little background here. Back in 2006, a study from a Canadian university did the most comprehensive overview of the world's seafood catch and determined that if we continued with business as usual, we were on a path to deplete the world's ocean of fish by 2048 due to overfishing everywhere. All of the world's fisheries are in trouble, according to this study. Now, the same team from Dalhousie University in Nova Scotia has updated their study, and they found a few positive signs of recovery in areas where sustainable management practices have been aggressively implemented, things like catch quotas and bans on destructive fishing techniques. Now, they estimate about a third of species are no longer on the fast track to collapse, but that means that there are still two-thirds of fish species in the world's oceans that are on the fast track to collapse, and of those, at least half are still being aggressively overfished. Well, that's one-third or one-half good news for fans of Red Lobster. Now, is this a study that they found they overestimated the damage that was going on, or is there a change specifically because of changes in the way that the hatcheries have been handled. It's a so change forth. specifically because of aggressive management techniques. There are all kinds of things that can be done, and the study says the good news is we now know better what actually works, and their new study proves that these techniques actually do work. So changing our policies has a good result. Yes, unfortunately, even a full stop of all fishing does not guarantee that a species can be saved if it has passed its tipping point. An example is the North Atlantic cod. It was so overfished in the 80s that when fishing was finally halted, the species still collapsed and is likely to go extinct within the next 20 years. Well, I don't care for cod anyway. Now, you can do your part by going online and printing up a pocket sustainable seafood guide to take with you to stores and restaurants. We have the links on our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Big trees are getting smaller and fewer in number, according to a new study, and climate change may be to blame. The U.S. Geological Survey studied big trees in Yosemite National Park and found the tree's average circumference had shrunk by 24% since the 1930s. They say that their findings suggest that water stresses caused by climate change play a major role, ultimately stunting the growth of trees. Now, smaller trees are an indicator of the health of the overall tree population, and smaller trees produce fewer trees trees in their subsequent generations. And there's an interesting study, I don't know if it's part of the same study in Yosemite, where they're looking at the, the number of trees and that they seem to be decreasing. The study has now begun, but the results won't be in for a couple of generations. So it's interesting that the scientist who has begun this process 
we'll never even get to see the results of his study, but it's an important and interesting study going on in Yosemite. The Obama administration has a goal of a million electric vehicles on American roads in six years, but that push for electric vehicles brings along a chicken and egg problem. Broad adoption of electric vehicles requires a way to recharge them, yet private companies won't build the infrastructure until the demand is well established. So the Obama administration announced $2.4 billion in grants to jumpstart development of the electric car battery industry and the infrastructure to support it, including ramping up the supply chain. Some of your tax dollars went to General Motors and Ford for grants to work with utility companies to develop hardware and a billing structure for charging vehicles at night. But the biggest grant went to a company working with car company Nissan to build over 12,000 charging stations in five states. It's billed as the largest rollout of electric charging stations in the history of the world. Now, because of Nissan's early investment in electric vehicle technology, these grants are somewhat self-serving, of course. Nissan has launched its new electric car, the Nissan LEAF, out to the market for late 2010. Nissan says the Leaf has a top speed of about 90 miles per hour and a range of more than 100 miles between recharges. And they say their research shows that should cover about 70% of all American auto travel. Covers my travel. I'll take one. We had an infrastructure underway in California some years ago when they built the, uh, the EV1 and... These charging stations were built up around the state until they decided to kill the EV1. I'm still wondering who killed the electric car. It's still a, a documentary worth checking out if you haven't seen it. For much more on that and all of today's Green News stories, check out greennews.bradblog.com. If you have thoughts, complaints, questions, ideas for us, we'd love to hear from you. Send us email greennews at bradblog.com. Don't forget, the Green News Report is now available for free on Apple iTunes. Jump on over there, hit subscribe, and the latest report will be downloaded to your computer or iPod as soon as it's available. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report.